Hello and welcome to the Human and Machine Podcast. This is Yaku from Element 8. And always, uh, me, Lenny, joining Yaku this morning. So another week, another podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you missed last week, we spoke with Albertus from Stratus Technologies about not the edge specifically, but all of we did have a lot to say about the edge, but more specifically high availability and the edge. Uh, that was a really cool chat with Albertus, Lenny. Yeah, it's, it's incredible to, to understand the technology depending on how many nines of availability you want to actually deploy to your manufacturing environment. Um, and a really good discussion just to guide guide people in the manufacturing world how to deliver a, a high availability or a disaster recovery solutions to their manufacturing plants. Yeah, definitely. Good chat with Albertus. Very knowledgeable guy. He's also been in the automation and software industry for more than 20 plus years. So yeah, that was an insightful chat. So right from that end of the spectrum, we are now this week for this specific episode. I mean, we're in for a treat. We're going way on the other side, as far away from the edge as possible, but really where it begins at the edge. And today we are, I don't even know what to title it. We are talking, what are all the buzzwords? Data science, artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning. Um, it's very common these days to come across all of these terms. Yeah, it's, it's, it's with the rapid rise of um, artificial intelligence, it's, it's almost impossible to miss, you know, you, you hear all of these, these words, terms like AI, machine learning, digitization, automation, <laughs> industry 4.0, what industrial, do all mean? What, what, what industrial all artificial intelligence, it's almost, they use it almost as a form of punctuation. <laughs> um, and every vendor is obviously flying for attention on these topics and terms because that is, that is the yeah. next step in our manufacturing journey. So very importantly is what do these buzzwords actually mean and why should you care about one or all of them? And, and hopefully um, we're going to get some answers today. So today we're in for a treat. We are chatting with uh, Dr. McCallery Hoffman and Johan van Merwe. Uh, these folks are from Prelexis, uh, head office down, uh, based down in the Western Cape. Uh, and they describe themselves as not only data scientists, but crafters of machine learning. So that already tells me it's, it's going to be a fascinating chat. Uh, welcome, McCallery and Johan. Thanks for joining us. And many thanks for the invitation. Thanks for having us yes. on the podcast. Great to meet you all. Yeah, I, I'm, we did say we, you know, we typically aim for about 45 minutes or so. I'm not sure. It feels like we can probably talk about these things for a couple of hours, but let's uh, <laughs> let's get into it. And, and maybe as a, as a departure point, if you can sort of tee it off with how you guys came together. I know, uh, McCallery, you were a computer science lecturer at the University of Stellenbosch. That's, that's where a lot of these sort of, all this journey and these things started for you. Yes, indeed, it started there. I, I mean, I'm, I also studied machine learning and artificial intelligence um, as part of my postgraduate studies. And uh, actually about um, nine, ten years ago, I spent a year in Belgium um, and I was doing a postdoc there at the university and, and I gave a lecture there on my research vision for the future. I mean, at that point, I thought I would become a a professor and, and spent my time in academia. And the feedback that I got was predominantly that, well, it's interesting, but why don't we actually go and do this in, in practice and, 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 and do it in industry? And then after I came back, I, I worked for a bit longer at the university, but that comment stayed with me. And then eventually I joined uh, uh, with uh, the other co-founder of the business, Georgie, and, and, and we essentially then um, started the company with the aim of, of doing machine learning 
and I, we can discuss maybe later the distinction between machine learning and artificial intelligence, but essentially doing machine learning and AI um, yes. for businesses. Um, and uh, it was an interesting journey at that point, since uh, eight years ago, um, when you Googled machine learning, you mostly got um, academic material. Yes. And I can distinctly remember some people talking, don't call it machine learning, call it something else, since no one will, will talk about this thing. Now, it's funny, it's obvious. <laughs> <laughs> and to be honest, I think we should have called it something else, since then we would have been able to differentiate ourselves maybe a bit better. It would have been a different word. But, but the long and the I mean, it was interesting to see how machine learning over the past eight years and even longer, I mean, I've seen my first... Uh, uh, machine learning algorithm in 2002 uh, as yes. part of my undergraduate studies and, and, and to see how a simple thing like that, it was in the context of facial recognition, has progressed now to a point where it's really changing the world. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, for sure. And I think we, I mean, that's a very good practical example. And I mean, there's many like that. So before we get into that, I, I, I think the last time we spoke, there was something about, uh, I think I probably read it on your, on your website, and it's something that we speak about often is, is the notion of conscious capitalism. And uh, if you are not familiar with that, um, there, there's a book by Ivan uh, Chouinard, who's the founder of Patagonia. He obviously started Patagonia, the clothing and outdoor brand in 1973. He wrote a book. The book is incredible. It's, um, it's, it's entitled Let My People Surf, or Let My People Go Surfing, sorry. Um, it's a really great book. And in there, he alludes to conscious capitalism. And conscious capitalism, obviously, is, is characterized by four guiding principles, which is about higher purpose, stakeholder um, orientation, conscious leadership, and conscious culture. And one of the things about your website, McCallery, that stood out for me is I think it was the first time that I visited your website. I read that, um, I can't remember the exact words that you use, but I think you call it purpose before profit. Um, tell us a little bit more about that and why that is specifically such, a, such an accentuated uh, piece of your, 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 your communication. So, so, I mean, the purpose before profit, I guess, also, I started maybe in the world of academia. So when we started Prolex, I, I said that we don't want to become this um, hierarchical organization where, um, so we have a very flat structure, actually. Yeah. And part of that is, 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 and actually when we start reading on this, we actually discovered something called teal organizations, which is similar to what we structure. Now, um, We've seen many times organizations where there's just this chase for profit, but in the end, we are a bunch of, 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 of people who wants to solve interesting problems, interesting problems that can have value to our clients, but also it's, it's, it's interesting for us to solve. And, 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 and th therefore we see it as more, we have a bigger purpose, a purpose to, to take machine learning uh, to the market, to help our clients, um, to solve, as I said, interesting problems with value. And of course, once you have a purpose, I mean, uh, then then, then uh, um, the value or the profit will, will naturally come. I mean, I, in a big sense, our, uh, why our purpose is to, to solve data-driven problems 
uh, or interesting problems with data. And that, that kind of drives this thing. There's actually even a, a bigger thing behind this um, and that we align, align ourselves to this, this sustainable development goal. So when we pick clients, we, we make sure that, that they align to those principles so that we, that we do things also good. I mean, the reality is, is, is that many of these people in, in AI and machine learning can find mm -hmm. positions anywhere in the world. I mean, from the Googles and the Facebook to the smaller companies elsewhere in the world. So by being a group of people around here, we certainly want to make a difference. And that is then part of our, our motto. Johan, do you want yeah, to maybe it, add something? No, definitely. Uh, because, I mean, we, uh, I, I like all those, the, the book that you mentioned just now, one I like is Capitalism as if the world matters. Um, and some other books that also focus on this whole idea of doing well while doing good, being a good corporate citizen and following the triple bottom line of people, uh, planet and, and profit. And I think uh, what McAllery mentioned now uh, with the sustainable development goals is that's sort of the filter that, that defines our why. And we, we have to, it's not only about the what and the how, it's about the why. Why do we get up in the morning? And uh, if we are, when we are involved in different industries, uh, of course, you know, if, if there's no profit, there's no company, there's, there's nothing to, to make a difference with. But uh, once, once we are in an industry, the, the question is, how do we uh, uh, focus that on something that will make the world a better place? For example, if we are in FSI, in financial services, then it's all about economic empowerment. It's about alleviating poverty. When we are in medical insurance or something else, it's about health and wellness. When we are in agriculture, it's about food security or whatever the case may be. And uh, defining our why is very important to us. I love that. I, I think it's such an important part of, uh, obviously, Simon Sinek talks about the why. And I think that's so often a very important overlooked part of why do we actually do what we do and, and how does it fit in the bigger world of things? Um, I love that. I, I really like that. And, and, and well done for that. And especially in the world of machine learning, I suppose you hear all of these, you know, the, the scary bits about machines taking over nuclear bombs and autonomous tanks and navies. And, and that's, the, that's the, uh, the, the, the very sort of uh, far extent of, of, of what's possible with machine learning and very often the bits that people hear about. Um, so I like that. And I also like that you've built your company around that doing good because doing good is good business. Um, and absolutely, the profits will follow. So it's um, very, um, it's very interesting, uh, Yaku. That uh, I mean, I interestingly enough, uh, it originally comes from the the social sciences side, and uh, my studies was actually initially in ethics and, and philosophy and so on. And uh, uh, the the whole thing of AI ethics and uh, uh, preventing bias in algorithms and all of that is a very fascinating topic that uh, is obviously a topic for a different day. But uh, I mean, that, that also is very important for us to, to make sure that uh, what we do, we do it well, we do it without bias and discrimination and uh, that our algorithms uh, is actually um, responsible in a certain sense. Yeah, no, absolutely is. Um, I, I, I can imagine that's a topic for a for another day, <laughs> probably a, probably a couple of extra hours. So maybe to kick it off in terms of our world. So um, you know, Lady, we spoke about um, data earlier and the proliferation of just devices and collectors all over. A couple of years ago, a challenge that we had is to get data. Now today, uh, with the advent of cheap sensors and cheap networks and and affordability and scalability, there's too much data almost in certain cases. And you've you've spoken about 
being a data-driven business or decision-making. And, and a lot of that has changed. Yeah, and maybe to, to this whole point as well, um, I think sometimes we as, as software vendors, you know, we, we use these terms a lot loosely coupled as well. And, and we spoke about this a lot, Yaku, is that the expectation for some businesses are now is that AI and machine learning is going to be this all-encompassing solution. It's going to solve all my business problems that I have. Um, but it's, it's not true, right? Um, the reality is, is a little bit somewhere in between. Um, it can be very, very effective, but you have to have the right context. You have to understand those contexts. Um, and you, you need to understand what type of AI technology will then apply to your contents. Um, it all works best when it applies to solving a specific problem or a very closely related set of problems. And I think that, that falls into the whole thing. Don't go into this journey just because of because. Think about consciously what is the problem that you want to solve before going on this AI journey. And yes, you need to have the data for that. Um, but it works the best when you have a related set of problems that you need to address. Yeah, so, so when we talk about a, being a data-driven enterprise or business, how important is this? And do you see a lot of that? I'm sure you have a model for how you build this data-driven enterprise, but how important is that? Why and what are we trying to achieve? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, so I, I just want to also mention now to the previous comment you make, certainly uh, AI and machine learning, um, you should not just do it for the sake of it. And yeah. it is still important to think about the problems that you want to solve in your business. At the same time, uh, I, I want to say that, that one should not ignore this. I mean, there's, there's, there's consensus that if you look at the so-called waves of computation, and I'll get back to the other question now, that, that I mean, it started off basically with the mainframe and then later the PC, and then later comes the, uh, the internet, mobile phones and it's now considered that machine learning and ai is this fifth uh, wave of of, um, of of computation and i mean if we look at the effect of of of, of the internet for example on our lives i mean this this talk we're sitting here in stanimals and you're sitting up in the north and that is only possible because we 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 use the internet as the as, as the backbone so certainly machine learning can can do those things but back to the data-driven enterprise um i mean I almost see data as, as the fingerprint of your business operations. So you're doing some stuff and wherever you touch something as a business, you're leaving data behind. And in the same way that, that, that you do forensics to, to eventually uh, um, uh, find out if a person was there or should not have been there. I mean, we have now biometrics to allow people in or out. You can yeah. use this data to get value out of it. But ultimately, that value is still tied to your, uh, to your uh, business. I mean, I can, the other analogy that people sometimes use is this, 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 this um, ore. So if you think of data as, as, as the ore, the gold ore, something that you take out of the ground. Now, in itself, um, I mean, if you just take out ground uh, uh, from, the, from, from the earth, I mean, that doesn't have value per se. But then mm. there's a process that you have to go through to actually refine this and to get to the pure gold that has now some value. And, and that part is, is, is what, what, what I believe that machine learning AI and also other data processing techniques enables you to, to take the raw material, your data, and transform it into something that's of value. 
But that value is only determined by what is important for you. I mean, if you don't wear uh, rings or um, earrings or whatever the gold is used for, then the gold might not have any value to you. Of course, we can sell it, um, but but just to get that that <clears throat> value is dependent on what is uh, is relevant in your business. So you you, if I can add to that, you uh, I'm so glad you asked the question because. Um, you have to know what you are looking for <laughs> in, in your analogy. If, if you get the soil from the earth, you know, and now you have to distill or get some gold from it, you have to know that you're looking for gold. Um, and, and that uh, also is driven from what do you want to do with the gold, as you say, the earrings or, or whatever. Uh, I once uh, heard a story of a guy that, um, you know, he wanted to uh, get directions to get get to the post office or whatever the case may be. And uh, the person uh, started to describe to him exactly how we should go. And it was a very, very complex route over this robot, left at that stop, you know, go over that, and etc. And then eventually the, the guy just gave up and he just said, sir, sorry, if you want to get to the post office, you cannot start here. <laughs> so so that's the that's a thing, you know, sometimes people bring us data and the gallery always talk about the crystal ball approach. You know, they, they bring us data and they say, we have data. What can you do? I mean, the question is, what do you want to do? And, and, uh, and that's where the business case discovery becomes so uh, important. You have to start there. You can even start further back. You know, we can talk about that as, uh, as well with your data culture and the people and, and so on. But the, the business case discovery is in, incredibly important. Um, the most simple a uh, way of doing that is we use the user story format uh, sometimes with customers and uh, say, well, as a what, you don't want to do what to do what? I mean, who's the user? Who's the, what's, what's the purpose that you, that you want to uh, use this for? And, uh, and then eventually also definitely look at the value because, I mean, that's why the uptake is sometimes uh, so slow of technology in uh, several industries is uh, because the business value are not um, uh, properly uh, calculated. So, uh, but the business case discovery, just to stress the point, you know, is incredibly important. If we, if we don't start there, you know, we cannot get where we want to go. Yeah. I, I really like that analogy um, about the, the soil and, and, and bring me more dirt, bring me more soil and let's see what we can get from it. Um, I like that. What are we looking for in, in, in this, this heap of soil that we've just unearthed? So when you talk about the business case discovery, that's, is, is, is that the first step to how you build out this, I'm just going to call it data-driven business or enterprise. Is that the first step? Uh, or is there something before that uh, that almost establishes a little bit of, of readiness or maturity or um, appetite? Or is there something before kicking off straight into the business case discovery? So, so uh, Johan is the one that can talk a little bit about this, but I think there's one thing that, that almost comes before this, and that is a mindset or maybe even in a belief that data is important to you and yes. that you want to make a difference with data. It, it, it sounds like it's a trivial thing, but we've been in an institution where that belief does not exist or maybe the execs or the, the, the team doesn't buy into that vision. And if, if, if there's not this thing that we believe that data is important and there's a buy-in from everyone, then yeah. you're not going anywhere. But once that is in place, then, then certainly once we start looking and start understanding then what can be done. You want, do you want to add? 
Oh, you've said it well. Uh, I mean, the uh, data strategy is is actually all about change management. Um, it's it's about how do you uh, define your your business and your strategy in terms of your uh, data assets. So um, instead of just you know having it somewhere and uh, having only the IT guys you know looking at at, at the data you know or uh, having somewhere in the uh, basement. <laughs> Certain silos, yeah, certain silos working on it or BI or wherever, you know, making sure that there's a, a general data a culture uh, in the organization. And uh, if so, if, if you ask me where does it start, of course, you know, the business case discovery is a very good starting point, but from there you should work uh, backwards and forwards. Um, we always use the, the uh, an iceberg um, analogy and say, well, the machine learning models, the sexy stuff, <laughs> the cool stuff, I mean, that's the tip of the of the iceberg. Uh, and, and even that, you know, uh, is, is much more a process of data cleaning and uh, ETL, uh, extract, transfer and load the data, and uh, uh, EDA, exploratory data analysis and so on, and only then applying the craft uh, which we which we mentioned, uh, namely the the modeling of the data, but that is the machine learning uh, model. That's the type of the tip of the iceberg. It starts with a culture. It starts with the with a buy in of executives and of the whole company, as McAllery mentioned. It goes towards business case discovery, but then there's also the thing of data people. You know who who are the people that be, will be the users and that will be uh, working with this, and how will the data and uh, and, and the results be presented to them. And then very importantly, the data systems. I mean, what, what does your architecture look like? So therefore, if you would ask me, where do we start? Um, we uh, need to assess the uh, AI maturity levels, you know, whether it's, it's still nascent or, or more uh, mature. Uh, and we do that in terms of assessing the current infrastructure and the current um, uh, uh, condition of the data sources, etc. And then uh, define the ideal and do, do, doing a gap analysis and saying, well, if this is the gap, this is the business value uh, that can be gained from that and that we need to do collaboratively with customers. I mean, we, we absolutely believe that this is not something that we do on our own, you know, typical consultant, you know, comes in and, uh, you know, with a hit and run approach. I mean, uh, you are the experts on your business. We also always tell customers. And that is where we need to look at the at the gap, at the gaps and the, then define the features, define the architecture. Uh, is it going to be cloud, on-prem, hybrid, uh, et cetera? And what are the specific um, tech stack that you will be using? And then and what's the costing of it? And what's the roadmap of implementing that? So, so that's the whole process uh, that leads up to the um, modeling that goes with specific business cases. Yeah. And when it, you talk, you spoke about the people. And I th do you find that um, I must be careful what I, which generation uh, uh, brackets and, and, and labels I refer to? I think Nini's a lot younger than me, baby boomer this side. But um, when, we, when we talk specifically around the, the people in these businesses and leading these, these drives and these um, initiatives, do you find that with an introduction of a younger workforce, do you find that there's a lot more of a, willingness and an understanding and to give you an example years ago we went to a mine and it was all about vibration analysis and all of these sort of uh, ai type i understand machine learning is only a subset but all these ai type systems and the the specific gentleman on the site i mean he's been with the mine probably at that stage for 40 years he sort of he sort of listened to this conversation he said no he doesn't need any of that he just walks 
and he hears something and he'll know immediately if, if, if there's something wrong with this mill or whatever this piece of machinery was. He doesn't need a clever system to tell him that. And obviously those individuals are now in, in many cases no longer with those companies and the, and all of that tacit knowledge potentially that they had is also gone or tribal and tacit knowledge is also gone. And I have these younger people stepping into those roles without that sort of experience. Do you, do you find that also playing a role in many cases? Yeah, the, the, just before McAllery uh, continues, you know, the, the MABA, um, PABA, you know, the machines are better at and people are better at, you know. It's, <laughs> I've never heard that. <laughs> you know, yeah, machines are better at and people are better at, you know, you need to define, you know, what, which vibrations is important, you know, to, uh, to uh, be um, sensed by uh, machine learning models, etc. And I mean, but you won't ignore the vibration if you walk past the machine and you hear, you hear the rattle, you know, I mean, so uh, that, that's, that's where machines and, and people, there should be people in the loop and human in the loop. Uh, so just to answer that, you know, it's not one or the other, but maybe McAllery has some ideas on generational yeah, so approaches me, so i i don't think we can really generalize since yeah. i mean we've seen actually in companies where there's there's let's say the older generation and they're very much interested and keen to, to explore these things um and then similarly when there's the, where there's younger people where where there's an, an unwillingness to, to, to do that. Um, what I do believe now, and what we're seeing is not believe what we're seeing is, is that there's definitely a trend that more and more people are adopting uh, uh, data-driven solutions as part of their of their operations. So um, to, 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 to segment that now into age group, I cannot I cannot say, but 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 the trend is definitely growing. And, and even your smaller companies start looking at, at what can data do for me and, and how can I actually make a, a value out of this uh, asset that I have. Look, there's definitely with younger people, there's an, uh, they are natively, you know, they are uh, fluent in, in, in data and, yeah. and tech on the one hand. Uh, on the other hand, you know, I think uh, what older people sometimes bring is the basic knowledge of statistics and mathematics and, and so on. Not that, that younger people are not schooled in that, you know, but I think uh, it's important also to realize, you know, that, uh, that we shouldn't generalize, you know, as McAllery said, and think that younger people are just about apps and, you know, sexy, cool stuff. Uh, you know, yeah. and older people, you know, are just about, uh, you know, doing things without machines. Uh, it's really the intergenerational um, uh, conversations. I think uh, even within our organization, you know, the older and younger people, you know, engaging from different uh, perspectives on, uh, on on mathematics, on statistics, on machine learning, on predictive maintenance, etc. You know, the way in which we bring different perspectives. I mean, that's where the magic really lies in that collaboration, uh, and not you know going to uh, having to sit at at one pole or the other in terms of generations. Yeah. People process and technology, you know, the, the, the technology exists to improve processes that will enable people. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a notion or, a, or something that's been around for, for very long. And I'm so happy that you mentioned a value-driven approach as well. I think the last research that I, that I saw on this, Lenny, Lenny always jokes, according to research or <laughs> recent show, studies recent study show, but I, yeah. think it was a Gartner, I think it was a Gartner piece that um, mentioned that more than half of all AI projects actually make it from prototype to full production. 
And I think the, the, the number one or the, or the primary reason was is because they failed to generate um, any of the expected return or, or understanding of what they could get as, as a return. So I'm so happy that it, you, you speak about a value-driven approach. Yeah, yes, yes, indeed. And, and I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned now about this a project that's failing. Uh, and, and, and we've certainly also see, uh, seen that many times. I mean, as you've said now, if, if the value is not defined, then that's a, a typically a problem uh, to, to get it. But we also take an end-to-end -end view, which is, 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 is very important for us. In other words, um, we've been around the block and seen a couple of projects going from the start towards the end. And I mean, you certainly, if you start down this journey, you have to think about uh, um, all the little things in between. I mean, it is not, I, I always make the, the, the um, example, when I was in academia and you develop a machine learning algorithm, the end result was an academic paper and you're done. Mm -hmm. uh, nowadays, if you're in academia, again, you might still, it's now open research, you will publish the, the code on the internet, someone else can go to implement that. But that's not enough. If you have an algorithm that can be perfect on your data, that doesn't mean it will solve your problem. Uh, then you, st you still have to go through a process of, of putting this into production, operationalize this thing, and, and actually make sure that, that, that it, it can run at scale, serve the business the, the, the way it was intended to do. Make sure you test it and, and that it, make sure that it, that it behaves the way that you uh, um, intended it to do, it behave. And that's why um, it's important to have this, um, uh, I said that book of, 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 of seven habits of highly intelligent, of highly effective people begin with the end in mind. I think I read it there. So if you begin with the end in mind, then, then certainly the chances of success are, are much higher. Um, mm -hmm. Otherwise you end up with that many institutions fail or companies fail is that they employ a data scientist and not one, they employ an army of them. And I mean, those uh, the skills come at, a, at quite a cost and now the people start developing algorithms left, right, and center. Yet no one has think of the value of those things and what do they want to do with it. They will think about the whole process. And then the problem is, is once people start burning and they, they don't get value out of it, then they, they think occupational value in machine learning to start with. And meanwhile, it was not the machine learning that was the problem. It was all the other things around it that, that, that caused it that you don't get to your value. Yeah, we need, we need a data lake. We need to collect data and we need a lake and we need some scientists to, to work with this data lake and give us some answers. Answers on what? <laughs> so so you, guys are, you guys are obviously the experts. I would imagine you guys are, um, uh, you folks have, or folks on your team that are engineers and mathematicians and scientists. So, so you've got the theory, you've got the um, uh, integration or integrating the theory with, with some of the practical lessons that you've learned as well. So, so give us a couple of examples of some of the sort of industries or verticals or businesses that, that you've done uh, or deployed some, some specific solutions and some of the um, learnings and, and amazing things that, that these businesses were able to learn from their data. Yes, so, so I can, and Johan, please fill in uh, as, I, as I talk. Uh, so, so one area where we do a lot of work is within financial services. And within that, um, we, we have a couple of specializations that the one is to understand the client better. In other words, um, building a so-called 
client smart client profile or a, or a client story, and really to 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 understand the kind of actions that you should take on a client in order to uh, um, uh, make uh, first of all the life of the client easier and make the client happier. But then at the same time, I mean, it will also then be give benefits to the financial institution. Um, Part of the things that we've done, for example, there is to, to, to look at, for example, bank statements, understanding the, the transactions there. You can calculate affordability of a client directly from a bank statement. Um, you can understand when a client is about to leave your institution, so that would be churn. Uh, um, you can understand uh, some of the work we've done is, is, is in, in, in forensics and fraud detection. So there it would be things like, um, is this transaction a valid one? Or at the same time, should I allow this? Now, interesting enough, I, I want to draw a quick parallel there of, of how these things are the same. Let's take, for example, customer churn. So that would be when is a client about to leave an, uh, or a, a, a company to move to another company. Think, for example, insurer or a bank. I'm going from, from insurer A to insurer B. And, and the action that what I want to know essentially is I want to know how long will this client still be a client of mine, given its history. And the history you can almost regard at its sense readings. I mean, you can think of my, my bank account and, and, and my transactions interactions as the sense readings you get. This is the exact same problem, for example, that, that you will see in predictive maintenance. Because now all of a sudden the question is just um, how long will this machine last? And when will it fail? And it's amazing that the same kind of techniques that you will use in the one, you can use in the other. Since ultimately it's the same kind of underlying question that you that you want to answer. How long will this thing still last? I mean, it's maybe not nice to talk about a client like this. How long will you last? But, 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 but I mean, if we ignore that part now for the moment, the, the, the principle behind that is the same. Um, How about credit? Uh... Yes, so, so, so in credit, I mean, we've, we've done there also some work and there it is, of course, to should I give you uh, this loan, grant this loan and, 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 and at what price? Um, we've also developed, of course, tools around that um, um, to assist them. Maybe it is relevant at that, this point also to explain what kind of problems can machine learning solve? Mm -hmm. I think it is, it is relevant to discussion. Now, this let's do think of the non-machine learning solutions that in my way you use data that's typically where you can use a rule in other words you can go in your data and you can write down a perfect rule to calculate uh, what you need to know i mean if i want to know what is the average salary as of, of a company you don't need machine learning to do that you can in fact the last time i checked calculate that directly <laughs> <laughs> now yeah. But then there are other problems. Let, let's take a, a different one, we, which we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, a facial recognition. Now, I mean, we all know our picture looked like on a computer. It's a bunch of zeros and ones, where each pixel is basically the color of, 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 of the, 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 the value, color value of that pixel. Now, I don't know, and I don't know anyone in this world will be able to write down a set of rules to classify a face there. I mean, would you say if the color is between, I don't know, these values and it's at a disposition and it's maybe combined with this color, then it's a, that's a face. I mean, you, you, you can't even comprehend writing rules down. 
Um, and this is where machine learning is, is very useful. So now I can give it examples of faces and non-faces. So I tell the computer, I don't know how to, to, to define a face or not face, but I can give you examples of, of, of what I know is faces and non-faces. And then the algorithms, the machine learning algorithm, that's where the learning part is, is, is when we look at this data and it will learn and I'm using in inverted commas, the rules, since it's not necessarily explicit rules, but, but for the purpose of discussion, think of it that way. It will then learn and discover these rules to make this uh, um, uh, computation then to say, okay, but there's a face or there's not a face. So in business problems, it is especially then useful for those cases where it's not possible to write down the exact business rule, especially if there's some noise we don't know the thing, the answer correctly, uh, then, then, then machine learning plays a role there. It also, you can think of it, it's almost like intuition modeling. Um, if, especially if there's humans in the loop, they can classify it. So you know it's a face or you know it's not a face, but you don't know how to, to get to it. And then machine learning is able to discover those kind of rules. And in fact, the, the, the thing that I've just explained to you now is, is what people would call supervised learning. Since I supervise it with examples of faces and non-faces, and then the machine will, will learn uh, um, this from the example. The other one, while I distinguish between these types of machine learning is, is unsupervised learning. And an example here would be, for example, a fraud detection. I mean, if you look at, 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 at um, uh, um, fraud, um, it, it's, you don't necessarily always have all the cases of this is fraud and non-fraud, especially at the beginning. I mean, you can also think maybe of a, of a machine that's running, if it starts to running just now, you don't have any failures. So how can I give you these two examples? You can't and, exactly do the duck test when it comes to fraud. Eh? Exactly. And so, uh, so then the machine is given all this data and it, it says, okay, can I identify this called strange patterns or how things are, it's out of the norm. And then these things are then highlighted and presented to a human to make a decision on. And, and, and that would be called unsupervised since I don't give it examples of, of what's right and wrong. And, and um, as I said, typical cases would there be, be, be before detection. Now, I know I took a segue now to, to explain a bit of these, these, these methods. And the question was actually to see what kind of other areas we work you on. Do you maybe want to add more? Or no, I like the, uh, the one that you mentioned now about unsupervised learning. Uh, the other example that I can uh, mention is uh, when we worked in the retail uh, industry, for example, is customer segmentation. You know, that's also an unsupervised uh, uh, problem where you uh, just look at the data, you look at spending patterns and, and what uh, the market basket analysis, you know, what do people buy? And then you are able to uh, segment them in, in different archetypes, uh, if you wish. And that was a very interesting case because we could also see in the COVID time, you know, how, uh, that, how the patterns then changed and the customer archetypes also changed and new archetypes uh, emerged and so on. So that's just besides the point when you mentioned now unsupervised learning. Yes, I think um, uh, indeed um, in manufacturing, of course, you know, you have your uh, predictive maintenance and your, uh, and your um, uh, remaining useful life uh, uh, cases. We, 
have an interesting one on, on uh, switch gear, uh, high voltage switch gear with partial discharges. And, uh, you know, it's, it's then interesting to then detect, as you say, those anomalies and the business value that that creates. You know, now you don't have to send inspectors every time. You know, you only send inspectors, you bring in the human on the loop, uh, on the loop when you see uh, those specific anomalies um, arising, saving lots of costs um, to the companies. Uh, yes, in, in retail, uh, price optimization, for example, at which price will uh, will a, a product solve, uh, create the, uh, the best profit uh, margins, etc. So yeah, many, many different kinds of uh, examples. Uh, in agriculture, of course, you have um, uh, lots of um, computer vision going on there uh, currently to see how crops are doing. And uh, then also other machine learning would be uh, to see how your um, uh, your um, crop, uh, uh, what do you call it, the spray, uh, uh, nutrition. The, the, nutrition, the nutrition and the, the crop, uh, the pesticides and so on, you know, what uh, gives you the best yield and so on, you can predict that. Because it's all about, not only about prediction, it's actually about um, intervention. <laughs> it's about having uh, the, the, the opportunity to, to give uh, to intervene and say, well, if I do this, then this will most likely happen. So it's not only about describing descriptive analytics, you know, seeing what statistics tells us about the past. It's not only even about predicting what will happen in the future. It's about getting actionable results uh, and insights so that you can then decide on what can we, you do which will most likely give a certain effect. So that is a prescriptive analytics where you prescribe something and then, okay, we can have a whole debate on correlation and causation, you know, but uh, the, the, where you can most likely then give the probabilities for something having a positive response. Yeah. Lenny, you're very quiet. I think you've been no, I, I, I want to <laughs> jump in here. I, I love the, the concept where only bring the human when he's needed to. I think the one of the earliest stories for that was Henry Ford when he started to automate production lines. Mm -hmm. He actually paid his people to sit in the break room. That sounds like a very weird concept, but it's exactly that. The more time you spend in the break room, that means the plant is running, you don't have to do maintenance. Mm -hmm. uh, if they have a machine learning, I think Henry Ford would have been bankrupt because if you can predict your, your maintenance, then yeah, everybody would sit in the break room. Um, maybe just to bring this a little bit back to, to manufacturing, I, I know we spoke a little bit about supervised, supervised learning and unsupervised learning. And, and in manufacturing, is actually, it's, it's quite easy, or we try to make it as easy as possible to understand what type of learning do you need to apply on your particular um, question that you're, or problem that you're trying to track. So let's take two examples. Um, I want to, a big thing, obviously, as we mentioned on this podcast already, is predict, predictive maintenance. Um, so I want to know predictively from an assets perspective when a mechanical failure is going to cause downtime on, on a piece of assets. Now, very important to understand that is to understand um, is the losses that that piece of equipment is going to have, is it frequent problems or infrequent problems? Because for frequent problems, um, you've got a lot of data. You know exactly what causes the downtime for that piece of asteroid assessment. And then, then you can actually train your machine learning algorithm, right? Um, you train them on these past patterns of anomalies because you have a lot of them. Um, it's the same. So it, the model can then understand what is a good outcome from mm. a machine operating versus the bad outcome, right? 
Um, so it knows exactly what it looks like when it's op operating normally mm -hmm. versus it's operating in, a, in an incident kind of condition. So, so that's just a little bit bringing it back is to understand also how frequent is it. When it's an infrequent problem, those are the ones that's a little bit more tricky. Yeah. It's when you this thing only breaks down one or twice a year, you don't have a lot of anomaly detection. Um, it's only a few batches from a process perspective that, that fails the, the test or the QI or the quality test. And for that type of data, um, unsupervised learning is, is probably the, the better option to go. So, so we like to divide these things into to quadrants um, is it high frequency failures mm. is it process driven versus acid driven and that kind of gives you a little bit of a just a, a guiding step into what type of machine learning algorithm being unsupervised or supervised do you, do you need to go um, but you know, there's so many terms i mean there's ai machine learning deep learning regression analysis i mean we spoke about just normal moving averages and yeah. averages i mean it doesn't have to go this deep, I suppose, or it can go as deep as what the problem is well, to solve. It's all about it's all about your capability to make the best informed decision that you can. Correct. Right. So how far do you want to take that, or even go beyond that? And I love the examples that you that you guys have spoken us through in terms of the financial world and credit. And I can absolutely understand from a retail consumer um i mean i was fascinated last year i think a lot of people still trying to get their heads around iot and now there's something called iob out the internet of behavior i was like okay what what, what, what is iob all about and i can understand a lot of the sort of consumer financial world is driving a lot of that but when i when i again bring it back to manufacturing outside of just asset life cycle and getting the most out of a piece of equipment i mean there's got to be incredible value in in deploying some of these sort of methods and, and and learnings in our manufacturing world and i'm fascinated that it hasn't evolved a little bit faster than what it has in the manufacturing world and there's so much benefit to be obtained from unlocking all of this 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 value sitting in the data i'm, I'm amazed that it's taken the, the manufacturing world so long to get there Yes, so, so I mean, so of course one can ask now why is it the case? I mean, certainly I don't have the the the, the I guess the, the the correct answer. There can be many reasons, but it could probably start with with maybe there is not a mindset or a belief that it can make a difference. Um, I mean, the reality is, is the manufacturing world is already uh, highly optimized, and and there's a lot of things going on there. So so. You can can't almost believe that 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 there, there can be more value from the data. So, so, so it could could be at that point. Um, I mean, it could also be related to to manufacturing systems. Um, uh, setups are typically quite advanced. I mean, if you think of all those sensor data and things that that flows in it, it can can go at quite a speed. And if if your data systems can't handle that, uh, then uh, there's no way, chance you can unlock the value later. I can remember, for example, a, a mind contacted us once to do an uh, exercise of predictive maintenance and um, actually on, 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 on understanding when the plant will go down. We did a nice tour. I had my heart rate on understand the system. And at some point I walked to them and said, okay, but where is this data now since we must work with it? And they had a small server there and I said, oh, that's interesting. We're able to do store all the data here since it's basically like a pc under the desk in the in the office of the of the operation and then they yeah. said no 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 but we actually delete the data every month since there's no space 
And oh, uh, my, my conclusion was then to them, okay, but it will not help us to do, we, will, we can't do anything for you. Uh, get a new server, store the data for longer, and then we can have another discussion. So, so it might be those things. Uh, mm -hmm. Then at the same time, I should add, there is also a lot going on in the field. I mean, you did a bit of a survey uh, quickly this morning, I guess, uh, uh, a desktop um, research, and, and, and there's certainly lots of cases uh, of, of where predictive, not predictive, where machine learning can be used within the manufacturing world. I mean, maybe, Johan, you can, you can highlight those things that you, you find out. Yes, I think mostly things that we mentioned already and that you guys know very well. I mean, it's just it was just interesting to me when I did my uh, bit of, re uh, uh, how did you say, uh, research suggests or uh, <laughs> research studies show, studies show <laughs> that 30% uh, of uh, the, the AI in manufacturing is maintaining machinery and production assets, you know, so I mean, that's, that is indeed, that's you know, big the, money. That's big yeah, money. absolutely. So, so, but it's important what McAdory said, you know, that the proof of value uh, is probably preventing the uh, the take up uh, of of machine learning in in the manufacturing industry because it's like you said you know it's so incremental uh, the improvements that you now uh, get with the with the data and it is actually if you make the calculation then over longer periods of time you know you will show the uh, the, the value and the profit but it it seems like um, like you said it's it's almost like this this mindset that that's uh, holding one one back. Um, yeah, so predictive maintenance, like we said, you know, cameras on on robots, um, and then uh, of course the the other thing is is demand forecasting and inventory management, um, and yeah. uh, selecting uh, raw materials, etc. So uh, so that those are in, in my mind the two main areas of um, application at the moment is the like I say the the predictive maintenance or the real time monitoring of machinery. And then demand forecasting and inventory management, and there, there are other things, of course, the robots, uh, uh, price optimization, looking at the cost of goods, etc. You know, but it was just interesting to see that the, those are the two main areas: the demand forecasting and inventory management is an interesting one because yeah. you don't want cash tied up in inventory, but you also don't want to lose um, stock with with out of stock uh, or lose uh, sales with out of uh, stock occurrences. Yeah. yeah. What do you think? Do you think maybe there's also a perception of the complexity of this? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And what, of course, adds to that is the fact that uh, that infrastructure is so important. You know, so people feel a bit. Uh, I'm almost want to say overwhelmed uh, by the complexity of the of the tech stack. Um, it's difficult to make the decision. Should we move to cloud? Should we be on prem, um, etc. And, uh, and because of the hype around AI and machine learning, you know, it sounds so complicated. Now, don't make uh, the, uh, the mistake. I mean, it, it is complicated, you know, but there are ways to, uh, to, to simplify the process at least so that uh, uh, users are able to um, fairly um, easily utilize the, the technology uh, that we have. But I, it, it's, it's definitely about the complexity uh, not only of the modeling, but of the whole process, the end-to-end -end process, 
like you mentioned earlier, the scaling of the process, the monitoring of models, the, the productionization, um, all of that is, it is scary. <laughs> if you, if you, if you uh, want to start out as a, a, a company that wants to uh, deploy machine learning in your environment and you don't know where to start. So, so that's where the, where the maturity process comes in, but it definitely is scary if, you, if you're not used to it uh, already. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited if you, if we talk, we spoke about consumer behavior a little bit earlier. I'm really excited and, and you already hear whispers of a lot of these sort of manufacturing companies that are looking to marry um, a lot of the consumer behavior data and predictive models that they have around launching of new products and the ability for their production or manufacturing to deliver that new category or that new product within a certain amount of time. Uh, and they, there's a lot of that happening or starting to happen where they, they, they're marrying that behavior or expected product success or failure or, or whatever the correct term is. I'm not, I'm not an expert in the consumer space, but marrying that demand and that need and that viability with what production can actually do based on, for example, past experience or current capacity. Um, I'm really excited to see those two worlds come together in this space. And I think that's potentially where a lot of these manufacturing and production companies are going to see incredible value if, if they have the ability to, to marry those two walls of behavior. Yeah, that, that's also typically where your recommender systems comes in. Uh, and it's interesting how that can be done right or wrong. You know, I mean, we all know this obnoxious uh, way of uh, and the, uh, how annoyed we get when the recommender systems get it wrong. You know, when they keep spamming you with things that you don't really don't want or you have bought it already or you Googled this and now you get uh, these recommendations all along. But we also know how, how incredible it is. You know, if you get a movie recommendation or a book recommendation or a product recommendation that's absolutely spot on as if they read your mind. And, uh, and, and, and that, 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 that is how important it is. If, you, if we get it right, we will have better uptake. If we get it wrong, you know, it will uh, change the perception for the worse uh, in terms of the uptake of machine learning and AI. Yeah, no, definitely. Sure, we're running, uh, what are we on time then? It's already 50 minutes. Yeah. All right, so you, um, in terms of where to begin, how to start, you have a toolkit or, or you've constructed or, or devised your own toolkit uh, to help individuals and businesses on, on how to get learning on this. You want to maybe give us a, um, a quick recap of that or, or uh, what it consists of or how to get started? Yes, so, so uh, when we actually started many, many years ago, we, we realized that um, there is a lot of repetition uh, when you do these kind of things. And so what we've done is, is we've packaged these things as a toolkit together so that uh, on the one hand, um, it gives you kind of a roadmap for change. And, 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 and you can also think of it as almost as the business aspects of it. So what, what do I need to do in order to, to get machine learning uh, ready and, and also get these things going? And then at the same time, we also then have things automated around the, uh, uh, um, the, the technical parts and, and, and the things needed set up to do that. Since, I mean, uh, if, you, if you look back, there's a, a couple of years ago, it was a bit of a, a, a wild west. Um, anyone could just use something. It was technology all over the place. The good thing is, 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 is 
even though there's still a lot of new technology coming, there are now some industry principles that, that, um, that's, that's being used. And that's, that's what we've packaged together. And we basically say, here's an opinionated way of making sure that you can realize value out of data science. You can use other technology. You can use other way and other process. I'm not saying you will not get to value, but we have a trial and tested way uh, of realizing value using the, the, the tools and the, 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 the technology that we, we develop. So you can almost think of it as an accelerator to, 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 to make this process faster. What there is, what, what, what I should however say is, it is in most businesses, uh, the type of machine learning solutions, they become unique. Since I mean, every business data is somewhat different than the other. So yes, of course, you can reuse many of the learnings and that's what we do, but there is a bit of a customization that must always take place to, to just adapt these things uh, um, to, to the specific business at play. The good news is, is if you have these accelerators and things available, of course, that can be much, much faster than trying to reinvent the wheel from, from, from the scratch. Because that's where auto ML some, sometimes falls short, yeah. you know, in terms of that customization. So it's different uh, strokes for different oaks, I suppose, you know, I mean, what, what do you want to use? Or what do you want to use it for? And are you an enterprise customer? Or, you know, do, do you want to solve a, a simple problem? But as McGarry said, the implementation then becomes very customized. But the process is, is, is standardized uh, in terms of, uh, you know, where do you the questions that you asked earlier, where do we start? And uh, how do we get eventually to the uh, data driven decisions? Okay, all right, perfect. Thank you. Benny, are you, any other questions? I mean, geez, it feels like we've been speaking for 10 minutes. Um, that was absolutely fascinating. Uh, Dr. Johan, Dr. McCallery, thank you so much. I almost thinking, trying to wrap my head around a couple of these things now from, from machine learning to continuous learning. This was really, really good learning. Um, really good learning for me, certainly. And he's a lot smarter than me. Maybe it wasn't that much for him. Um, but thank you very, very much for your insights. Thank you for the chat. Uh, is that okay if we share your contact details and, and, and how people can get in touch with you and, and uh, the clever people at ProLexis, we can share that with the podcast? Yes, yes, you're more than welcome. I mean, it's, I think it's in any case already on the internet, so, so you can share it. It should be. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if we get some ProLexis ads in the next five minutes. So, so that is spelled... Uh, <laughs> 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 Let's see how many hits you get over the next little while. So, so oh, that is... Yeah. Um, uh, obviously, the spelling is P-R-A-E-L-E-X-I-S. I'm, I'm not going to spell that phonetically, um, but we'll we'll share the details um, for, for you both afterwards so the listeners can, can get in touch with you. And the name, interestingly enough, means uh, to foresay or to predict, prelexes. So, uh, so that's also a way of, of remembering, remembering it. But thanks for having us. This is what we get up in the mornings for. You know, we're passionate about this. So it's great to have spoken to you. I love it. And, and it shows. The passion definitely shows. And it, it's, it's always just a pleasure to have a conversation with somebody that's passionate uh, about what they do and believe in what they do. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks to you as well. Thanks. Perfect. So that next week, Lenny, I think we've got finally in the mining space, I think we have PwC. I think we're chatting just to, to somebody from PwC. Yes. Just looking at, at sort of trends in mining and, and seeing based on, again, some local research. 
that was done done recently in in the mining world, uh, just about trends and insights. Yeah, so I think we are kicking off against with the trend series. So yeah, a little bit of future future of mining kind of series to see what's what's happening in the mining world, especially with the adoption of IoT as well. Definitely, and I almost want to say with IoT pre and post COVID, how, how that has changed, especially for example in the mining world. That must be a, a fascinating insight. Cool. So that was all about machine learning uh, with uh, Dr. Doctors Johanna McCallery from ProLexis, the crafters of machine learning. I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. As always, please give us uh, your feedback, recommendations, suggestions. Oh, please please um, email us at podcast at element8.co.za if you've got any interesting topic or people in the industry that you'd like us to interview. Fantastic. Thank you very much for listening and uh, look after each other and stay safe. Cheers. Everybody.